0: world is changing at a rate that we've never seen before. From business to art to sports, these changes are affecting every aspect of our lives. My name is Nick Kastner, and we're setting out to talk with the people who are altering the way things are done. Along with Alec McChesney, this is The Commonwealth. Hello, my name is Nick Kastner, host and co-creator of The Commonwealth, which is a podcast that features entrepreneurs, artists, and athletes that are leading disruptive change. Our interview for this next Monday's episode is with Ali Schwanke, the, the founder and CEO of SimpleStrat and the uh, co-founder of BrandPlan. Before I sit down to chat with Ali, we have Senator Anna Wishart here to host a 20-minute-long question-and-answer session. Uh, Senator Wishart uh, represents, uh, represents Lincoln in Nebraska's unicameral. She... Um, her district encompasses some of the poorest and richest communities in the state of Nebraska. She has sponsored uh, legislation to make medical marijuana legal here in the state, and and, um, and wrote a bill that makes uh, makes Nebraska a leader in self driving car technology. So, before I um, hand the, um, hand the stage over to. Uh, to Senator Wishart. So the, uh, we're capturing all the audio and video of tonight. So if you ask a question, your voice will be on that. And we, we may need some teamwork to pass the microphone around. So thanks in advance for the help. So ladies and gentlemen, Senator Anna Wishart.
1: Well, I'm going to sit everybody and let's see if this microphone is on. Are we good? Well, hi, everyone, and thank you so much for being here. Uh, you know, when Nick and I actually met, like, right there, in here in the foundry, uh, and it was after one meeting when you asked me, hey, will you be on <laughs> the inaugural uh, episode of my podcast? And I said, well, I'll think about it, and he followed up and followed up, and I... I love how hardworking you are on this, and I'm really excited. And uh, it's a little bit of pressure to be be on the first, uh, but I'm excited to be here. So, as Nick said, I represent District 27. I was elected uh, three years to the legislature, and when I was thinking about what would I, how would I introduce myself, I, I think what I'll, what I'll talk about is what I've learned. Uh, kind of the number one thing I've learned. Uh, having worked three years in politics as someone who, before I got involved in politics, was not a very political person. And I think what I've learned, and and this is coming from, from serving in a legislature with 48 other individuals, where there's probably no way I would have ever been sitting around a table with them in all of their different walks of life in any other job and so I, I feel very grateful for that. But it's also coming from the perspective of serving in a local level, in a local capacity, uh, when all of the sort of national struggles are going on. And, and how I see all of this kind of affecting what happens on a local level uh, as well on the national level. And I think the, the thing I've learned um, and that I'll take away and hopefully keep with me for the rest of my life is I've learned to be curious. And I think that word has become lost uh, in recent time. I think a lot of times, and maybe it's with social media, is exacerbates this. Uh, when you're confronted with someone who thinks different, we've gotten into this tendency to immediately kind of put a wall and say you're wrong or try to change their mind in in one moment, instead of really asking, well, what is it in your life that has led you to think that way? And instead of being curious about why somebody would think that way, and maybe in finding that out about someone, you can make a connection with someone who thinks different than you. And I've had to do that because... I work with people uh, across the state who have had very different life paths to get to the legislature, who think very different than I do, uh, fundamentally different than I do on a lot of issues. And we're kind of forced to have to work together and so it forces us to be curious with each other. And uh, it is a life skill that I will use for the rest of my life. So that's, that's, that's the takeaway I have from the three years I've been in the legislature.
0: So, do we have any questions for Senator Wishart?
1: Don't be shy. Oh,
0: perfect. I don't know if I necessarily need the mic, but um, you're talking about curious. How do you think that's a learned activity, or how can we teach, uh, especially at the younger level? And if you look at, you know, elementary school, grade school, middle school, and then high school, how do we teach an individual to be curious?
1: I mean, that's such a great question. I would say kids are naturally curious. I would say that actually we, our social systems teach them not to be what comes very natural to young kids. Uh, and so I would say, actually, uh, we should look at how we can really in, continue to champion what comes natural to kids in terms of uh, not being afraid to ask tough questions, uh, not being afraid to say things that they don't know. Uh, and also, not being afraid to be around people that are different than them. What's the most difficult vote that you've had to make in the Nebraska Legislature? Oh, <laughs> um, I've had to make two. I've had to make two really tough votes. I would say the one um, that was the most painful, and it took me a while to kind of feel a sense of peace about it was involved in the budget. I sit on the Appropriations Committee, and so um, the way that we craft the budget is during committee, we negotiate what goes into that, we vote the budget out, and then it goes to the full legislature for the legislature to debate, and then uh, eventually pass. And in Nebraska, we've been always very dutiful about passing a budget, and... Several years ago, there was an item involved in our budget that would have cut funding to women's reproductive health care, which is an issue as a young woman, and just as a human, I feel very strongly about. Uh, I think it's very important that women have access to health care, and I believe in reproductive freedom. And, um, you know, we fought in committee for it, to stay out, this, this part of the budget that would have slashed some funding to Planned Parenthood. And uh, unfortunately, I, I lost that, that fight in committee and the budget came out. And um, as an Appropriations Committee member, I felt a sense of duty that we had to pass a budget. There was $50 million for child welfare. Uh, there was funding for women's health clinics. Uh, And so I voted to pass that budget and got a lot of criticism from women in my district and and men in my district who cared about this issue. Uh, You know, I feel very strongly that it needed to happen, but it was definitely the the toughest issue I've ever worked on.
0: Back here, Senator Wisher.
1: So you had mentioned not being interested in politics. Um, What got you interested? And then once you were, how did you get involved? Yeah, so I never thought about running for office, and I wasn't involved in um, sort of party side of things when I was young. I was involved in constitutional debate as a high school student, Um, but as a young woman, I just never imagined myself in that position because there aren't a lot of young women who serve. And I remember the moment I thought about running for the legislature. I was home and I was at a luncheon with my mom uh, celebrating Helen Busalis, who was Lincoln's first woman mayor. And Senator Amanda McGill was speaking at the time, and she was a, just this incredible young, vibrant woman who was elected when she was 26 to serve a north, uh, sort of northeast district in Lincoln. And she spoke directly to the young women in the audience and said, "Don't wait." Uh, think about running now and I turned to my it just clicked it's like it it's like it's one of those things and it's why it's so important to expose kids at a young age to a variety of things that they can do Um, because sometimes you don't even know that that's what you wanted to do your whole life and I went into it because I really like connecting with people and I love problem solving. It's one of my favorite things to do is just sit around a table and figure out creatively how you can how you can solve something. And it's turned out to be exactly that. It is for anybody who's thinking about running, especially the state legislature. It's it is a really incredible job. Uh, if, if you like brainstorming and, and trying to figure out a solution to tough problems, you spend all day doing that.
0: Over here, Senator. <clears throat> Hi, Senator. I'm a big fan of yours. Thank you for your public service. Um, two-part question. You've been a champion <coughs> for the hemp industry, industrial, medical And I'm curious where your philosophical basis comes from, where, you know, uh, how how you came to the conclusion that we should move more aggressively towards legalized marijuana. Second part of the question is, back to your curiosity with youth. These first-time users, they're going to go through some stuff, you know? Could be time warp, could be, you know, paranoia. How do you reconcile all that?
1: (laughs) Well, so... For the first part of the question, um, I tend to fall a little more on the libertarian side of things. Uh, if there is um, something in this world that, do- that statistics show does not, is not a public health concern, which I think if you look at the facts around marijuana, um, you will find that in the grand scheme of things it's far more benign than a lot of the things that are legal. Uh, then I tend to feel that we should not be controlling what somebody does with their life, especially when it impacts their health care. So it was a very quick and very easy uh, realization for me. So much so it took like five people at the doors to tell me this is an issue that they cared about uh, and to tell me what family member was struggling with it. And after that, I was like, oh, yeah, absolutely. I'll, I'll introduce the bill as a freshman senator. I have no qualms about that. And luckily, it's one of those issues, the more and more I do research on it, the, more, the stronger I feel about it. I don't know how to answer the second part of that question.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm old fashioned. Uh, does anyone else have any questions? so given the experiences that you've developed over time, uh, what have you learned about the battles that you choose to fight and those that you choose to abstain from?
1: That is a great that is a great question. I would say for the most part uh, I I tend to be someone and I think I've shown this especially on social media and in person I really will never, throw stones at somebody or cast somebody out even if we think very very differently on issues. Uh, in terms of deciding what energy I'll put into legislation, when somebody reaches out to me a lot of times the way I get input is from these kind of meetings and meeting with constituents and just people that call in um, and we all spend about a month my staff will will vet it. we always reach out to the opposition first and see what their issues would be and then talk to the support and see how much support we'd get and then we decide uh, whether it's something we could move forward on. Now if it's something that is really important in the sense of timing like corrections reform um, that is a bit battle I'm willing to go out on a limb on uh, and work immediately on even though the, the, the stakes are hard uh, when it comes to something like corrections reform um, there's a lot of s- established interest in keeping the system the way it is uh, which is broken and uh, and so that's one where I'm willing to take on a battle where I'll definitely be the underdog
0: Speaking of picking battles there's been a big debate of um, property tax reform how do you see that being addressed and where is that going to go from here
1: so I was just in a two-hour meeting on that today. And trying to figure out the, the way that we can address the main cause of property tax uh, issues in the state, which is education funding and a lack thereof from, from the state, uh, which requires then local districts to raise their levies. And so what I'd say is I don't know if there will be a solution. I, I think we're getting close to it. Um, what I will say is one of the reasons we have been incapable of passing major reforms, well, there's a few, um, but one of the main ones is just process. We leave the revenue debates for the last three weeks of session in the last two years. Uh, I've well, actually, the last three years I've served. We're all exhausted. Uh, our political capital has been spent, we've been negotiating on other issues. And so to think that we could talk majorly around revenue uh, in the last three weeks of session is just not workable. So I've been pushing that we talk about this straight out the gate in January when session starts again. I think the other issue too is, um, and I think there's a lot of dynamics that have caused this, um, but we live in a world right now where it's very, I find we're in in a kind of place where elected officials aren't willing to take any risks with their decision making or do anything big, um, because heaven forbid there's a mistake or something doesn't work with that decision, which is always a potential. Um, it's ruthless how, um, upset people can get. Uh, and, and, not look at a mistake or something that didn't go well as, as inevitable with any kind of policy decisions. And sometimes you have to take a risk and then tweak it and figure out what will work. Um, and so I think there's a, a real hesitancy these days in politics to do anything big. And sometimes I joke, like, I don't even know if we would have been able to build the highway system with the current sort of political climate where people are are really terrified of doing big bold things um, and the risks associated with that. So I think both of those dynamics have made it really hard to do that.
0: You talked about uh, raising revenue. Is there any talk of slashing spending or like Curbing the spending or bringing it down.
1: Yeah, and I wouldn't even. I don't even necessarily know if it's entirely raising it or whether it's looking at. So you have three ways to address revenue side of things. You can cut spending and find efficiencies. Uh, You can shift the tax burden to a different form of tax, whether it be sales or income, uh, or you can grow the economy. And you grow the base of people that are putting money into the system and everybody pays less. Uh, I think we have to look at all of those. The last one is much more long-term decision-making. So it sometimes gets left to the wayside. But frankly, I think it's the the biggest win-win for addressing taxes. I think there is some look at, um, we have a ton of sales tax exemptions, so there's a look at doing that. Uh, In terms of efficiencies, yes, I mean, there's obviously, you've got to look and find efficiencies, but I served on appropriations committee where we were, we had a billion dollar deficit out of a four billion dollar budget that we had to cut. So we have spent the past two years doing significant cuts, and there comes a time where we either have to decide as a community whether we want those services anymore or we have to recognize that they come with a cost.
0: We have time for one more question.
1: I, I have a question in regards to uh, marijuana legalization and um, I used to work with a lot of people in the farm industry in uh, California and Washington State and one of their you know, complaints when they got marijuana legalization, even recreational was that people were still going and buying it um, illegally and you know while I'm not necessarily you know mayor of that, I or or opposed to decriminalization. I would say one of my concerns is is there an effective way to deal with the illegal market once it's legal so that people buy it, you know, in a regulated fashion. I was just wondering how you would address that. Yeah, so that's a great question. I think what I'll say is that until you have federal reform, I think you're always going to have some friction with a legal market and an illegal market. The, uh, because, because we don't have federal reform... Businesses in the marijuana industry do not get the same benefits as other businesses in other legal markets, which means that their product is more expensive, and you're battling then against a uh, an illegal market where they don't have to follow the same regulations. So um, it may be less expensive to purchase that way. What I will say is 100% of the people in Nebraska who are currently consuming are consuming in an illegal way. So if we legalize it in the states... Uh, You'll see a significant decrease in terms of the illegal market. Will you get rid of it entirely? No, not until we have uh, federal reform.
0: Sorry, turn the microphone off. Thank you, Senator Wishart. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Our guest this evening is Ali Schwanki, the founder and CEO of SimpleStrat and the co-founder of BrandPlan. Allie and I are pretty good friends through Lincoln's startup community, so I knew about her work as, uh, as a business leader before the evening. Things I learned while prepping for, the, for tonight was that Allie has contributed to Huffington Post. She was a state trigonometry champion in high school, <laughs> and, and she's a fantastic piano player. So Allie, thanks for joining me.
2: Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah.
0: Um, so to start with, can you give people a sense of who you are, of like, where, uh, where are you from?
2: Yeah, my parents live on a small uh, farmstead about an hour southwest of here. Yes, they, uh, they live on the family farm that was homesteaded. We moved there when I was in high school. So um, if anybody here has moved when they were in high school, notice that anything in high school is traumatic, but moving to a new school in high school when there's 10 kids in your high school class uh, is even more traumatic. So
0: <laughs> so you moved to a school with 10 kids? We did, yes. What, what high school was it?
2: Uh, I went to Milligan High School. Okay. I was a rooster. Try to be a lady. Try to be a lady rooster.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and um,
2: some of you just got that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and before the event, you were talking about your dad being in IT. So, uh, w- w- were your parents uh, like a- agriculture at all, or like what? What were your parents like? No,
2: so um, when I was growing up, we we liked to, to play farm. Um, we did some uh, raising of, of organic produce, and, um, you know, that was back in the late 90s, early 2000s, and, uh, you know, back then everybody talked about organic and how it was good for you, but nobody really made it a thing, and so I said, you know, we were just 10 years like ahead of our time, but uh, we would... We would uh, uh, raise and sell organic produce at the farmers market, and kind of got all of that seen uh, entrepreneurially under my belt. But my parents actually met at um, Hale Packard; they worked together okay. in uh, in Colorado. And so, um, I g- always grew up with a computer in my household, and we were restricted on the amount of time we could spend uh, watching TV, but we were not restricted on how much time we could spend with a computer. And so, um, yeah, I just spent a lot of time uh, getting used to the, the tech field, and um, and now today, my my dad's still in the tech field in his uh, in his sixties, and uh, I'm as well.
0: Yeah. So that uh, that produce business you mentioned was that um, was like was that a whole family ordeal or? What? Was that like your, a project you you spearheaded?
2: Uh, yeah, it was a whole family deal, and so we um, so so nowadays I have two kids, and um, I still have this feeling that you know people have to work for things. Um, things will get handed to you, and so you know regardless of how well off you are, and uh, we would um, we go out in the field and we capture whatever we needed to for an order. So we would order from uh, like Southeast Community College was one of our customers, okay, and we um, actually race. Um, Sweet corn for them, and so we would husk all the sweet corn, and we figured out little things about marketing and, and business at that point. So, um, if you actually husk the corn and de um, de silked it, you could get more money for it than you could if you just gave it to them in the husk.
0: Okay.
1: And
2: uh, we also sold like like baby like mini pumpkins to a grocery store in, in Crete, and if we washed the pumpkins with a toothbrush so that you got all of the gook off of there, we could spend we could charge twenty five cents more a pound for the pumpkins than we could if we just like got them out of the field and got it to them. So. So if you wanted a, a new pair of shoes, like I was anybody here, like K Swiss, I was into K Swiss shoes yeah. in the you know early two thousands, uh, and I wanted a new pair of K Swiss shoes, so I went out and you know harvested a bushel of pumpkins, washed them with my toothbrush, and uh, you know there you go, new shoes.
0: Yeah, and, and I'm sure you looked fantastic in those K Swiss. Yeah, we'll shoes. see. I was like yeah. 80 pounds. Yeah. <laughs> so. Um, so after graduating with uh, with 10 kids in your class, where did you go to uh, college?
2: Yeah, I got a full-ride scholarship to Wayne State College, so go state colleges. Um, but, you know, uh, at that point, you know, growing up in a conservative family, it was, you go to college wherever they give you money, and where they give you money, you, you graduate debt-free. So that was um, excellent for me, because I got a chance to kind of explore a lot of different things, and that's where I fell in love with um Basically running every organization on campus and um, creating rally around causes that I was excited about.
0: Okay. And what, uh, what were some examples of causes?
2: Um, well, I was a student body vice president, so okay, I, um, I'm not a, a senator, but you know, I rallied for better um, prices on textbooks when you turn them in. Oh, <laughs> <Hell> yeah. <laughs>
0: um, I also was
2: introduced to the world of um, people finding things in your past that will serve for any type of slander. That will find their way to the front page of the um, of the college newspaper. <laughs> okay. um, it wasn't my poor news that found its way to the front, but my my running mate had had an incident that uh, he had he had built some sort of like thing with chemicals in his room, and at the last minute figured out it would go off, and so he threw it out the window, um, and so they, they positioned it as a bomb that had gone off, uh, which wasn't a bomb. Okay, uh, but you know journalism newspaper. And so we woke up the next morning, and he calls me cause, again. We're calling each other, not texting each other. It was, it was, a, it was days ago, children. Um, but uh, he calls me and he says, have you seen the front page of the newspaper? And I said, no. And he's like, well, just don't. Yeah. <laughs> just don't.
0: Yeah. So after graduating from college, your first job was in marketing, correct?
2: Uh, my first job was actually, um, I uh, started a photography business. Okay.
0: Yeah. And yeah. Uh, what, was that a solo, solo gig?
2: Yeah. Yeah. I was really, um, I was tired of everyone everywhere on a billboard looking like this. Uh, And if you're listening, I'm making this really dumb face with a thumbs up, Yeah, you know, Um, because I hated stock photos. And I just ever since I've um, got my first camera when I was like eight. And I just I believe in the power of like this visual story you could tell with pictures and video. Mm -hmm. And I was so tired of everyone trying to say that they were authentic and then giving me the same picture of this woman who works like, the joke was, this woman works freaking everywhere. You know, she's a chef. She's a data entry person. She's also a lawnmower. And so I said I wanted to rid the world of stock photos, and that's why I started this business. Uh, well, it turns out, when you start a business, people have to pay you to do those things. And nobody wanted to pay me to do that. <laughs> they thought it was cute. Um, but I ended up making, uh, making money doing, you know, weddings, families, babies. That's what people pay for. So, uh, so that's where I started.
0: Okay. And then how long were you uh, in, the, in the photography business?
2: Yeah, I had a business like that off and on for, for years, um, okay. but I eventually transitioned to marketing. Um, the whole scope of my career, unfortunately, has been, "Hey, can you do this?" And I say yes, and I'm like, "Okay, how do I do this?" <laughs> <laughs> and so, uh, so they would ask me to build. Uh, you know, I did a couple of business photos, and they'd say, "How do I, how do I use these? Can you build a website for me?" And I'd be like, "Sure."
0: Sure. Yeah. <laughs>
2: how hard can it be? And that was before you know, lynda.com, before mm-hmm. Google. I mean, before really, there was online learning communities. So, I interviewed for a job at one point, and um, it was a part time, like creations, uh, a creative director sort of role. And I mean, to be honest, like I had no bis- <laughs> I had no business applying for this job. Okay, uh, but uh, they asked me if I knew how to use Adobe um, InDesign, which I hadn't learned in college, okay. and I was like, sure, yeah. So the next interview, I had to bring a sample of my work that I had created in Adobe InDesign. So at that point, uh, I had to go buy Adobe InDesign and stay up all night long, teach myself how to use it, and then brought the sample to the job interview the next day. I did not get the job. (laughs) but uh,
0: You had a sample.
2: Yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) Uh, But what it did is it it launched me on this trajectory of life is really about... um, going and figuring out how to find the resources you need to do the job that's ahead of you and so that's really what entrepreneurship is and I think that was my first like college didn't teach me that and that's okay what it taught me was how to learn and that's like that's your whole life
0: Mm -hmm. so did you end up getting a job uh, yeah so the funny
2: thing is um, a month later that same place that I had applied to and they turned me down called me back and said are you still looking for work and I had a photo business, but I needed something a little more steady mm-hmm. and not weekends and evenings because I had a young child. And, uh, and evidently, the person they hired had come in and, and essentially like the place was on fire. So, uh, so the first day I get into this, this job, so they hired me okay. off of my horrible sample that I did overnight. Mm-hmm. And uh, I get in there the first day and I realize they are like two months behind schedule on producing what they need to for clients. And uh, I had never had so many people get mad at me, and I'd never had anybody use the f bomb with me. And I had a first person I didn't know like just curse me out on the phone. And at that point, um, yeah, I was like, "What? What did I do? <laughs> like, why am I?" And I came back the next day for some reason. Like, I came back the next day, but um, but that was a, a really good opportunity to to make things right and, and figure out what the customer wanted. So
0: yeah. And how long were you with that company?
2: Um, for a couple of years okay. um, you know things kind of my, my career before I started the company that I have now is kind of a series of two to three year stints um, realizing that um, each time I acted like the owner and then at the end of the day I wasn't the owner mm-hmm. and I didn't have any of the owner benefits even now like I'm not swimming in cash everybody <laughs> my <laughs> cash goes back into my business so my kids think I'm poor but, um, yeah. but the uh, the gist of it was I can do this so why don't I do this for myself
1: mm-hmm
0: um so when when was it that you decided to go back and and start your own thing
2: yeah so um anybody here been to lincoln startup week or something similar or startup weekends um yeah so I'd, I'd been um if you ever have a friend who just like constantly talks about a problem and they're just like they get really agitated about it um like the thing you need to say to them is go to a startup weekend or build something stop complaining and go do something about it And so that's kind of what happened with me. Um, There was a startup weekend. It was, I think, 2011. And um, I worked at a gym uh, part-time. And I was teaching fitness classes. And um, the way that they were going about finding substitute teachers for their fitness classes was just horrible and just awful. I hate being overwhelmed. And uh, they would send out messages to everybody for every class every time there was an opening. So picture this. 50 instructors 50 classes a week, how many openings is that? And how many emails will you get until you stop paying attention, right? So I pitched this idea for this health and fitness app that better managed the scheduling of those instructors. Won the startup weekends. Okay. Quit the job that I was at at that point because I was like, woohoo! I won a weekend. Okay. What that means is you've won the opportunity to work on an idea without any revenue. That's what that means.
0: Yeah. Um, what What do you get if you win startup? Uh, so you know, so I got you-
2: some. I uh, I won some development hours, which okay. you know was great. Yeah. Uh, I won some co-working space, which is wonderful. But you know, you have to work in that space to make what you said you were going to make. Um, and ultimately, you know, it, what we discovered, this is the first lesson on entrepreneurship is everybody who had the problem mm-hmm. that we were solving was just, yes, this solution's awesome. The people who would pray for, pay for this problem didn't want to pay for it and didn't think it was a big deal. So therefore no money, therefore no business. So that's when I started consulting and that's ultimately where SimpleStrat came from.
0: Okay. So what is SimpleStrat?
2: Yeah, so SimpleStrat is a uh, we're a B2B marketing agency uh, built on this uh the strategic platform that we actually now um have developed or are developing into a um into a software and then um we've got um somewhat of a points-based um delivery model. So think about medical billing and coding. So if I go see the doctor I I get like uh, you know all these codes for things that happen to me. In in marketing services you often see like blogging and you see all these things that are kind of like packaged but even even for the blog to go live all these things have to happen and so we code essentially all of that into deliverables and then package those together so
0: okay interesting so when you uh when you first started the the marketing business i saw on linkedin that it was named uh, schwanky marketing or schwanky marketing what why did you decide to revamp the name
2: well, Schwanky Rams with donkey. So does anybody really like that name uh, anymore? Yeah,
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> uh. No,
2: um, Schwanky actually, I mean, it's my last name. And so um, any good consultant or anybody who needs to make a quick dollar and launches a consultancy, what's the best way to name your company? Last name plus the word what you're doing. Schwanky Marketing. Schwanky Advertising. Schwanky Catering. Go look it up in the phone book. Anybody will have their last name plus a word. Mm-hmm. That's how you name your business. But um, I started that as a CMO for hire. So it, like, it was me, and it was my likeness out in the marketplace. And so once I realized I wanted to build something that was much larger than me, that had a sellable entity to it eventually, and needed to not have my moniker on it. And so the name SimpleStrat came from... I was sitting at my kitchen table, and I remember like if any of you have, lo- have named a business you've gone through this process of like waiting for the perfect name to hit you. Like you hear these stories of someone is like, I was in the shower or I was driving on the road and then suddenly this name hit me and I'm like waiting around for this like divine inspiration. And I never got it. Um, but, uh, but I ended up sitting down at the kitchen table and writing out somewhat of a manifesto of how I really thought marketing should work. Mm-hmm. And at the end I said, really it's a matter of simplicity. Because we tend to overcomplicate things that we don't understand. And so marketing becomes simple when you have a strategy that tells you who you are, what you're doing, who you're reaching. And how you're going to make that value in the marketplace? And so I said, um, it's 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 simple strategy, and simple strategy was taken. And so uh so simple strat was born. So nice. that's that's kind of where it came from.
0: Fun backstory. So uh, two years after f- uh, founding the business, you brought on a partner, Tyler Sprunk, as a co-founder. How did that relationship come to be?
2: Yeah. So um, I didn't launch a business thinking I uh, was going to bring on a co-founder. Um, I think the interesting thing is when you've launched, when you've done business, you now like. I now have a different perspective on if, if, if everything burned down today and I started over, I would now do things much differently because I have this different context that I've now been through. Um, but Tyler had a business uh, prior that was an advertising agency, mm-hmm. and um, he had been um, in the process of, of closing down his agency um, due to a shift in direction, and um, we needed office space. So what had actually happened is um, I signed – here. here here's what I learned in this process. When someone says they give you their word, sometimes that's they give you their word and other times that means I didn't actually say that and good luck with that. (laughs) Um, So we had sublet a business, an office space from someone in uh, the Haymarket and we were going to take over their office space when they were were done. We get to the end of our six six months, not very long, but six months sublease and uh, all of a sudden it's like, hey, so when are you moving out? And I'm like, what? We're not moving out. Oh, well, we've told someone else to have your space. And I said, but we have it in writing, but I, but I gave them my word. So here, I, I'm just freaking out that I'm homeless or, or office-less. <laughs> and, uh, and I see Tyler post that his office is going to be available. And at that point, I get on email and I just go off on my landlord saying, why didn't you tell me this was available? And then I'm you know stalking Tyler. I didn't know Tyler at the time. Yeah. I'm stalking him, private messaging him. And uh, we ended up meeting for coffee. I learned later that Tyler took that meeting as more of a, like, I got to get this Allie person off my back so <laughs> that someone doesn't say, did you ever meet with Allie? And we met up and figured out that we actually had very similar visions for what we wanted to build. And so at that point, um, you know, it was a – he jumped on with a wing and a prayer, and I um, I can't imagine our business without him on board.
0: Hmm. And so did that, um, did that partnership form as quick as you – you just illustrated that it was it was just a couple of meetings when he, he,
2: yeah, he was I mean, all in. We negotiated an employment um, you know agreement where um, you know he had a vesting into the business, but um, you know we wanted to both protect what I had built as well as what he wanted to get into it. So if if six months into the business um, he decided you know this isn't what he signed up for, a piece out okay. there was no ramifications for him. Um, if he got to a year and said um, I am invested in now later I've got X number of percent. Um, I'm not out with someone who just basically camped on board for an equity piece. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I mean, if he were here to, to, to chime in, you know, hopefully he'd say the same thing. But uh, it's been a very positive uh, experience for both of us. Okay.
0: So, in um, since bringing Tyler on, what have been some challenges as you've grown and scaled the business?
2: Oh, goodness. Um, <laughs> every day is a challenge. Um, I think as an entrepreneur, one of the things you learn to embrace is um, I had a mentor tell me – you stop thinking about yourself as your own boss and you start just embracing this, what am I going to solve today? Like Anna said it, like what problems am I going to solve today? And um, you know, challenges have been um, trying to find the right talent. You know, Lincoln, we've had this conversation about talent in Lincoln for a long time. We do strategic digital marketing in the B2B space. The people that we're looking for with experience are, are tough. They're hard to find here. And so we have to talk about do how much time do we give to get this person up to speed and how do we go find the right talent when we're a young and growing business when i can't pay what the university of nebraska can pay and i can't offer free tuition for your children Mm -hmm. when they work at my business so um so those are some of the challenges and then um you know just we've pared down our our um industries we're targeting so saying no to people like a lot of businesses when they first start it's any business, any revenue, anyhow, and working through that line of we're saying no to more than we're saying yes to. Um, it's just a different mindset. Mm-hmm.
0: So you, um, you just touched on a few struggles being located in Lincoln. What, what do you like about, um, about? running a business in Lincoln, specifically the Haymarket, which is where your office is at.
2: Yeah. So um, we had a – so we started um, – when SimpleStrat first started, I rented space out of Fuse because I really believed in the camaraderie that was in that office space, and we were a small team of, of two with a couple contractors. So, um, you know, we didn't have the glamorous office space, but we were in Fuse, which felt kind of glamorous. Mm-hmm. Um, but our first office was maybe for, like, from that chair to this banner. Um, and like, it was a joke that if you had to go to the bathroom, like everybody knew because they all had to like scoot in their chairs for you to get get by. Um, but we decided to take a short, like I call it the time that we went down South and we went down to, to South Lincoln for three months into an office that was cheaper and we had more space I said that one time, and they're like, you moved to Texas?
0: <laughs> yeah. And I said,
2: no, no, that would be a lot more expensive than what we did. But we moved down south uh, for an office that was uh, that was much larger, and we were um, much more affordable. But it was incredible how quickly the energy flew out of the business. And it was, there's something about being in the hay market with all the startup activity and the people. And, like, I often joke about the corner of 8th and P as, like, the place where these interesting conversations happen. And every time I'm leaving scooters or Crescent Moon or The Mill, I run into someone and I have an interesting conversation and it spurs something. And so we just believe very strongly in that. So we, we came back to the Haymarket and we we love being in the Haymarket. That's one of the best mm-hmm. decisions we've made. Um, the, the other good thing is um, if you've looked at doing business in other cities, Lincoln's a very, very affordable place to, to build a business. Um, I have a family and trying to make sure that I make ends meet. I'm not... Um, you know, again, we're not rolling in cash by any means, um, but I'm also not paying nine thousand dollars a month to have an office space of two offices in an up and coming area, which you might find in you know Silicon Valley or, or even places like you know New York. So
0: yeah, um, that that first part about being in Lincoln, I, I ran into Allie on the street to ask about podcasting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because Ali uh, hosts a podcast called, or hosted a podcast called Bar Napkin Business. Um, so what what was Bar Napkin Business?
2: Yeah, so my co-host and I um, decided that there wasn't enough um, conversation about kind of the down and dirty part of running business. Um, And so he owned a a couple of bars here in town. and, And when you think about the word bar, like think about the types of conversations that you have over drinks. They're really they're just rough and they're raw. And you often find things like bartenders will tell you that they know more about people than their spouse does. And so we wanted a chance to talk about business in the way that, tell me what's good, and then also tell me, like, what are the things, what are the nitty-gritty things that it takes to make a business run? And so we did about uh, about 50 episodes. Mm-hmm. Uh, we ran for about a year, and it's still on iTunes, if you want to check it out, Bar Napkin Business. Um, but ultimately, what we discovered is um, Nebraskans and Midwesterners are really, and maybe you're finding this too, mm-hmm. um, are very close to the vest. When it comes to talking about themselves, talking about failure is very difficult. I think everybody is like that too. But, mm-hmm. um, but even talking about success, like we tend to be very um, inward focused here, and so we started finding the people we wanted to interview didn't want to necessarily share their story publicly. So, um, so we just kind of put a pause on it and decided we'd we'd wait until we knew a little bit more.
0: Yeah. What's uh, what What was your favorite your favorite episode from the host?
2: Perspective. Oh, there's a lot of really good episodes. Um, you know, one of the episodes we had um, Paul Jarrett from from Blue Box mm-hmm. um, talk about his journey. Um, and I, I remember specific things from my, each episode, like um, when he talked about locking himself in a closet until he made 100 phone calls. Like imagine being in a dark closet with your phone. Until you get 100 phone calls. Like, who's going to lock themselves? That's self-discipline. But that's what it takes to run a business, is is being able to hit those milestones. Um, We interviewed a couple of the founders of local breweries. And, um, like, the founders of of Code Beer talked about um, how they had bought the brewing equipment from Goose Island, which I love. Love Goose Island beer. um, But had all these issues in getting the equipment back to Nebraska. And you never think about these things that, like, we, we just go and enjoy beer over at Code Beer. But getting all that equipment here, they almost didn't launch a business because of that fiasco. So it's these, like, kind of trough periods that that's what makes you an entrepreneur is being able to stick it through the highs. And then these just every day is there's what's going to go wrong today.
0: Mm-hmm. So the, uh, the the last topic I want to hit on tonight is brand plan, um, which is, uh, I, what what is brand plan? I'll, I'll let you describe it.
2: Yeah, brand plan is the, so I'll give you a little bit of a backstory. So I've worked in marketing, both internal and as an agency. And um, marketing always feels like, if you've worked in marketing, it often feels like everybody is just running around with their heads cut off and it's like pants on fire all the time what's in front of me for the next two days, but it's difficult to plan and, and stay true to a strategy. And so what we discovered is one of the reasons why that's tough is there are all these tactical tools. So we are tricked into thinking that it creating in, in Wix and Weebly and, and Squarespace, all these commercials make you believe that it's really, really easy to get a website to go live. You know, there's uh, there's a, an ad that comes onto my YouTube when I'm, when I'm watching as a, as a sponsored, uh, like a, a pre roll. And it's this, you know, skater dude guy. And he says, you know, I launched my website on Wix. It's just easy. And I did it over, like, he didn't say this, but it's like, I did it in like a day. Um, great. Okay, awesome. You should go work for Google now. You're so good at web design. Um, but what we find is what actually makes marketing work because we all have access to all these tools. The tactics and the tools are no longer the advantage. The advantage is being able to be strategic and define how to approach a market and how to build all those systems around it. So brand plan is the platform to help you plan or to build, uh, manage, and communicate your marketing strategy so that you actually have all of the right things in the right places and you can visualize that in time and space.
0: Yeah, and what's the, uh, what's the current stage of the product? Like, where, where's it at?
2: Yeah, yeah, so we've built um, the UI UX, and so we're actually going through product validation right now. So if any of you here um, or listening or in the room are uh, marketers or agency professionals, um, we're booking our demo um, uh, demo calls right now. So that's getting any, you know, any feedback. Um, it's interesting what people will give you from feedback if you've ever done product validation, um, and we're choosing which one's are most applicable to our launch.
0: Yeah, and what has some of that feedback been?
2: The, so the feedback has been um, has been very positive. There's been a couple of things where uh, people hope that it will give them this like magic I don't, magic tool uh, that you know it will tell me what I should do for marketing. It's like that magic eight ball where they shake it and they're like, "These are the five tactics that you should do." Um, nothing will do that for you, and mm-hmm. in fact, if it did. Everyone's going to do it, and you no longer have the advantage. That's how that works. Um, So we've gotten that feedback, and then the other feedback has been um, this is really great. I wish my executive team would know how marketing should work. So we're trying to then go down that path and say, how do we ensure that this tool not only is a marketer's benefit but spans across marketing, sales, and executive teams, so that they're all using this to power their marketing and sales teams, uh, and then use that to show that, like, to the board and that kind of stuff.
0: Yeah. What uh, What's your vision? Vision for this? Like, how uh, um, that this this seems like a more scalable business than than an agency. So where, where do you hope it goes to?
2: The vision for Brainplane is, I mean, as a marketer, I want to fundamentally change how people talk and, and function from a marketing perspective. So marketing right now, I asked a question. If, if any of you here are friends with me on Facebook, you're, you're welcome to connect. But uh, I ask questions on my Facebook page mostly about, about the industry and see how people think. And I asked, define marketing for me. And it, it, it was just this, like, laundry list of things that range from positive words to, you know, sleazy, you know, things that make me want to, you know, throw up. And it was, it was just, it was personally jarring because that's how people see marketing because they feel like they're being tricked. Well, I want to redefine marketing as this strategic advantage that every company has. And you can only do that when you have the right strategy and, and the tool is, is key to that.
0: Well, Allie, thank you for joining me today.
2: Yeah, thanks for the invite.
0: Yes. Um, So our show is produced by Alec McChesney, who is sitting in the corner working the camera, and hosted by me, Nick Kastner. If you you like the show, please tell your friends about it and like us on Facebook. Um, Thank you to my family and friends and everyone else who showed up tonight, Dylan Parker for running the sound, Randy Hawthorne at the bar for... uh, for letting us um, ho- uh, host us at the Foundry, Amy Hernandez for taking th- photos, Natalie McCauley for letting me bum her camera, KZUM for the microphones, and of course, Allie and Senator Wishart for, um, for coming this evening. And thanks again. I hope everyone has a great, great evening. Thank you. That will do it for today's episode. Thanks for listening. We would love for you to subscribe to our channel and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can also like the Commonwealth on Facebook and follow Alec and I on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. We release episodes on Mondays, so stay tuned for next week.